Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. All right, Bill, come on, spark it. Spark it? <laughs> it's my cigar lighter. Yeah, right. It's all I smoke. Can you hear that? I can hear that. You can hear that. So welcome to our, I'm going to say it, podcast. Ah. Um, <laughs> this is where we're going this week, in case you haven't noticed. So um, <laughs> so we had, this is a big week for news in terms of legalized marijuana in New York State. And um, I know at least one person that's sitting in this is a long time coming. So that's what we're going to talk about. Before we jump into that, I'm going to do the introductions of who is with us. And manning the controls, as usual, is Bill Sutton. Hi, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And we also have Catherine G. Manu, also known as Georgie. Hi, Georgie. <laughs> hey, Annette. I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I am the publisher of the Express News Group. And also here with us is Joe Shaw. Hi, Joe. Hey, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express mm -hmm. News Group. And you have some workmen over there today, right? Yeah, you may hear some pounding and drilling and sawing in the background because I'm getting a new front door. And boy, is it nice. What was wrong with the old one? You know, I believe the old one may have been made of paper mache. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting when they came for the quote unquote demolition, it took about 45 seconds to get our front door pulled out. It was barely in there. I think it was just in there with, with good thoughts. That's all. Yeah. Well, like I always say, the worst is like when you have workmen over, like I remember time we had the electricians over and they opened up the wall and just started pointing and laughing. And I'm like, this <laughs> it's like that. So, uh, and my name's Annette Hinkle and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is David Falkowski. And David is the owner of Open Minded Organics. And David, do you want to say hello and tell us a little bit about Open Minded Organics and sort of what your focus has been since you started this operation? Yeah, so Open Minded Organics started in my backyard right up behind this window here uh, nearly 20 years ago, growing gourmet medicinal mushrooms, a bit of an acolyte of Paul Stamets uh, with the mushrooms in mycology, healing the people on the planet, um, and being inspired by the teachings and works of, say, Bill Mollison and permaculture design. Uh, through the years, the business evolved. I was always with a focus on food and, and community wellness and uh, diversifying into vegetables, food processing. In 2017, when the state lifted the cap on research partners for hemp production and manufacturing, uh, we, were, we earned a license. And uh, to date, here we are, 2021, April 22nd here. And uh, we're one of literally the handful of growers and vertically integrated processors that have really kind of graduated or survived New York's program out of nearly a thousand. Mm. And so most of your production has been like CBD oil and, and products like that? Uh, in the hemp program, yes, we, we're, we're cannabinoid hemp. So we're molecular farmers. We're focusing on the compounds in there uh, and for their, their wellness properties. And uh, notably, we don't just make like say CBD oils. We, we make varietal specific extracts. So just like you would buy a different mushroom from us. Uh, I don't know if you know, but we have a lion's mane mushroom that actually we collected here on Long Island. We cloned and we cultivated and they named it after us, uh, Harissimir Nisei's Falkowski eye. 
And that would differentiate it from another one. So the same thing here with cannabis, it's always kind of been that way. People want to know their strains and its effects. And so our extracts, what we grow and extract are varietal specific. So there's some uniqueness. And there. David, can I ask um, what are, I mean, and I know it's, it's different depending on what variety um, you're consuming um, or using, you know, on your skin, um, but what are some of the benefits of using CBD oil? What are some of the experiences your clients have had? Sure. So I really think the best way to handle this is talk about maybe my experience, my wife's and my family's, right? So I'm not making claims. This is anecdotal, uh, but I'm 43 years of age now. When I was 13, I broke my hip. I had a bone cyst. I had a steel rod put in there, taken out years later. A few years after that, I had orthoscopic surgery on my other knee. A few years after that, I stepped out of a piece of equipment, bent my other knee, 180 degrees, the opposite direction. Uh, I'm five foot 11. I used to be six foot. I have degenerated discs. I've had the shots. Uh, I'm a business owner, a parent. Um, so, you know, I, I suffer from many of the different ailments that make us human. Um, generally speaking, you know, I've discovered using a, a quality hemp product. Uh, actually, a lot of people noticed when I, when I first started using it a few years ago that there was, it helped me get back to kind of center and this calmness in my life. And, you know, we're not saying that, you know, we need drugs and compounds to do things, but many of us do rely on certain food products like coffee and other things in our diet, or even like turmeric, which is an anti-inflammatory. And so for some of us, cannabis really can be like a strong medicine that helps with a lot of these things we suffer from. As a matter of fact, I often refer to it as the lost food group, because I'm sure all of us at this point, a few years since all this has been happening, we all know somebody or more than one where it's dramatically impacted their life. And it's kind of like, well, if you didn't have enough protein, you're not building muscle mass, or if you're deficient in certain vitamins and minerals, you know, your hair could thin, a paling vitamin D deficiency, and we're learning about immune systems. And it's amazing when these cannabinoid products, whether it's hemp derived products or marijuana derived, but cannabinoids are returned, it's kind of like this lost food product, uh, these amazing benefits are realized. And for me, it's really been getting back to center, uh, focus, sleep, you know, helping with a lot of the inflammation associated with the pain in my hip and my back. It's very complicated, the two. Uh, and making these oils. So we're basically extracting the essence of the plant with alcohol. Uh, we remove the alcohol and we have this concentrated like hash oil and that's standardized in a carrier oil so that you can take these oils orally, but you can also use them topically. So we're really trying to preach the universality of that format, but also the uniqueness of the different varieties. And, uh, and it's interesting. We've discovered that I like or we like certain ones in the morning more, mm -hmm. or certain ones in the evening. Uh, we've even discovered that, for instance, there's a Suver Hayes varietal. Again, the, the breeders make up the names. I don't. Last time I did, I got smacked by the wife. <laughs> and I've discovered that with Suver Hayes, if I take a little bit more in the morning, I get a little bit more boost on my mood and my energy. And if I take a little bit less at night, the same thing that gave me a boost in the morning helped me relax and sleep in the evening. So there's really no one size fits all. And of all the other products on the market, everything's gonna be a little bit different. And uh, we're just trying to carve out our own little space. Actually, I have a question for you, David. I, I, I'm curious how it feels to be so far ahead of the curve on something like this. I mean, and I wonder that somebody who got into CBD oils and, and all of that, did you have any idea how quickly things could change and, and just open up um, this entire new way of, of dealing with, with the products now. I mean, you know, now I, I got to say two years ago, three years ago, the idea of legalized recreational marijuana was out there. 
but I don't think anybody really believed it was going to happen that quickly. It's got to just be mind bending for you to, to think about how fast everything's changing. Yeah. Good thing we're flexible. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we had no idea when we first started down this avenue and filling out our first application in 2017, really what all of this entailed. And so on one hand, it's really kind of scary because we've been running so fast and part of us is tired and exhausted versus other people who may be getting in now. There's almost one advantage there. They have less to lose. There's nothing to lose. So everything I've created compliance-wise, infrastructure-wise, there's real pressure on me, massive stress that affects me and my business and my employees to transition that into these new programs. So there's, there's a sense of uneasiness. At the same time, though, we're very proud of what we've done. Uh, I'd like people to go out and, and find other people who have graduated New York's program. You know, our, our, our hemp grow and processing facility, they're certified organic. Uh, our processing facility is CGMP audited. These are, these are federal guidelines for manufacturing dietary supplements. Uh, we, we scored a 98. Uh, it took two years to achieve that compliance. And it's over $4,000 just for the audit. We're certified kosher, you know, so we have the rabbis come down. They just contacted us to go over our recipes and our facility. There's, you know, it's a third party audit. Uh, we're verified vegan. Uh, we're, we're certified non-GMO, uh, certified paleo. And so we've, we've achieved all these levels of compliance and it's impressive. My team that's, that's aggregated and that we've built here at Open-Minded Organics, what we've accomplished. Uh, we're excited. It happened fast, but it's a little scary as we're kind of like, we're all waiting for answers. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this in a little bit, you know, where these answers are. Uh, but our biggest challenge right now is to, to transfer what, what we've accomplished in the hemp swim lane now over into the adult use program. And that's, so there's a major, major stepping stone there. So I guess we should probably talk a little bit about what happened this week. Now, this was the legislation that came down from the state, right? That legalizes the recreational use of marijuana. Um, I don't know much beyond that. Who, is, who here is the best to, uh, probably David, uh, <laughs> to talk about well, we have an expert. <laughs> what this means. Yeah. Sure. On uh, March 31st, uh, we had signed by uh, you know, Governor Cuomo the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act. Uh, this was no last minute thrown together bill. Uh, there are actually two kind of competing bills. His version, the CRTA, the Cannabis Regulation Taxation Act. Uh, the MRTA was the great winner. It was definitely a higher graded bill um, you know, from the uh, advocacy groups. Uh, Senator Mex uh, Metzger and, um, and some other folks have been refining this language for, for years and it was coming up. So it finally got passed and there's some unique things that happened here. One, Immediately, New Yorkers can walk around three ounces of marijuana in their pocket in a public space, and they can have up to five pounds of marijuana in their home. And that took effect immediately, as you said, right? I mean, that's that's now. Correct. Yeah, and that's you know that's kind of like this immediate decrim uh, stuff. So you know, there's a, an interesting gray space we're existing in right now. Then you know, we've all heard about things about home grow. Um, that's coming. Those those regulations have not been written. As a matter of fact, we're still waiting for the members of the board, the OCM, the Office of Cannabis Management, to be appointed and, and adopted. So we, we really don't even have our czars in place yeah. uh, in this organization who are going to who are responsible for writing the regulations, you know, delegating the tasks, uh, enforcement, et cetera. Um, so really, signing that bill was really just kind of 
opening the door to this whole new world. And it's actually just the beginning on this whole journey of figuring out how we're going to regulate uh, adult use cannabis in the state. Uh, in the context also of the medical program that's existed, the hemp program where I've been operating, and now there's new adult use and this overseeing like uh, bonding OCM, Office of Cannabis Management, that will oversee all of those. Hmm. Yeah, and so just to talk a little bit about that, this gray space that we find ourselves in, that gray space enabled you to have an event on Tuesday, 420, and we were able to see people come together at John Steinbeck Waterfront Park in Sag Harbor for a village sanctioned event, you know, that was approved by the village board and led by you and um, village officials were there. Um, the chief of police who was on the cover of our newspaper this week was there. Love that cover. And part of what occurred at, you know, the park was, you know, people did enjoy recreational marijuana safely. But of course, you know, villages, towns, counties, the state, you know, there's going to be lots of discussions about where you can enjoy those products publicly, whether parks and beaches or places that that should happen, et cetera, et cetera. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the event and how it went, um, and then we can talk about the regulation side. Yeah, no, good. So the, the whole goal of the event was to raise awareness of the passage of the bill. Uh, and if any of you listen, were there in attendance, or I think we recorded on our Instagram live for Open Minded Organics about 20 minutes, I had a strong focus on you know, responsibility for us as adults, right? I mean, one of the things I spoke about is all eyes are on us right now you know, to, to lead by example, and prove to the naysayers and, and the perceived opposition through the years that the world's not gonna end, that not everybody's getting in the car, driving around intoxicated and running their children over in front of schools or their homes. And so there, there's a lot of obligation here and we're just beginning. Um, and also, so we had the social responsibility element and then there was an educational component. So folks who were in attendance, we pointed out that we placed uh, QR codes uh, around uh, the event space in the park. And when you scan it, it goes to a resource page on our website and it lists the MRTA, the hemp extract bill, uh, tools that help you find your local assembly person and senator, uh, multiple things. So as we're referencing guidance documents, legislation, legislators, people, you can now get engaged, do your due diligence and, and take your own actions. And I kind of build that as like, I use it as a carrot a lot of people, oh, can I just get it? I can't make it. And I said, look, this is really the carrot on the stick. I'm trying to get you off the couch. Uh, and there was a quote we put at the bottom, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get educated and get involved. Um, so I'll share that stuff with you. I mean, we can share that around. So that was really the focus of the event. Um, obviously, uh, there were some folks, uh, you know, consuming marijuana in a public place. And so on that note, you know, when the MRTA passed, uh, it's interesting in the language how the legislators wrote in there that smoking marijuana is kind of tied together wherever you would smoke tobacco or just smoke in general. I think, Dave, we also should point out that the legislation, uh, it's kind of an interesting moment. I think you talked about a gray area. It's still illegal to buy or sell marijuana in New York State. You can possess it, but you can't actually buy or sell it. I thought it was interesting at the rally. I think somebody was was giving away joints. Not me. <laughs> 
that's legal, correct? I mean, yeah. that's perfectly, no, somebody, somebody was, but that's a legal act. You can give away marijuana, but you can't legally buy or sell it yet. So that's, it feels like to me, the next battleground, so to speak, is going to be in, at the local level and whether the towns, and I, I don't know if the villages, do the villages have a say in this as well? Oh, certainly. Yes. For parklands and yeah. for beaches that are village operated and owned, of course, they'll have a say. Okay, so it's towns and villages. And I know there's a big movement, island-wide at least, to encourage towns and villages not to allow the sale um, of, of marijuana uh, in, their, in their local codes. I, I have a feeling it's going to come down to money, as everything always does, and I think it'll be a, an interesting battle. But what are you hearing? I know that um, I believe Jay Schneiderman has been sort of at least open to the concept uh, of of allowing it, but uh, he's been sort of a lone voice so far, correct? I, I hear all sorts of things. You know, we have a lot of coalition efforts. Uh, I'm a the Long Island chairman for the New York Cannabis Growers Process Association. A lot of my my uh, coalition efforts focus with uh, Troy Smith of Long Island Normal. Uh, I've had conversations with many local representatives. I've spoken with Jay himself in the last couple of weeks. I've spoken with Bridget Fleming. I've spoken to Fred Thiel. I've spoken to Sag Harbor Village Mayor Mulcahy. Uh, right before the passage of the MRT, I was knocking on the door in the Southampton Town Planning Department. Um, just last week, uh, as the first step of working my way into East Hampton Town, I'd I'd uh, spoken to the uh, East Hampton Town uh, Agricultural Advisory Board. So what I would say is this though, you know, I've, I've got eyes and ears in different places and obviously I have an agenda and, and hopefully people see it's one of public safety, uh, economic opportunity. I mean, I live here, I'm born here, I have a child in school here, I have a business here. Um, so I wouldn't be convinced that there's this major movement to prevent or opt out of the sale of cannabis marijuana. So let's be uh, clear here for a moment. So this opt out provision is just to prevent uh, retail dispensaries or like social consumption lounges in your municipality on the town, city or village level. They have till the end of the year to put together a bill and pass it, which would also be subject to a permissive referendum. Um, so they mm -hmm. could either put it directly to the vote of the, the citizens or the citizens have to get a certain percentage of votes to get it on the back of a ballot somehow. So I really do like in this MRTA how they've put a lot of power in the municipalities and also to the people who live there. And I think that's really important. You know, there's a lot of language of this inclusiveness, social equity, you know, trying to address complicated issues of people who have been disproportionately affected in certain neighborhoods or maybe because they're brown or black or other things, but it's it's a recurring theme throughout of it, throughout the bill. As far as the opt-out stuff though, just because there's a few outspoken voices does not mean it's the consensus. As a matter of fact, you looked a couple of weeks ago, there was a meeting uh, with, I do believe it was uh, the town executives uh, and actually Troy Smith, who I spoke, um, just mentioned before, he was at the meeting presented and at the conclusion of the meeting, there was no consensus of that they're all opting out. And, and we started to hear, well, we're on the fence. Here's, here's kind of my personal interpretation. I, I really think a lot of pro folks are pro. I just don't think they're too quick to come out of the gate saying they are. Um, I, I think it's just a little bit of a game that, hey, people in politics and forward facing are gonna have to do to maybe come out in a conservative stance 
And hopefully there's enough people that are progressive like myself and our coalition efforts that can demonstrate good evidence that this is good for our communities, that there is revenue. You know, the fact is cannabis is already here. People are already buying it, selling it, using it. All we're doing is taking a black market industry and bringing it out into the sunlight. And yes, they're able to tax and monetize it, but they're also able to increase public safety through the quality controls on the products. And here's, and here's a good argument to make. If you opt out of cannabis sales and, and commercial consumption lounges in, in your town, you're opting out of the program altogether. Like you're not even participating. So you're really, you're removing yourself from that slipstream, that sleep, that streamline of the information flow of current, you know, labeling, you know, weights and measures. And it bears repeating the opting out is just on retail operations, stores that would sell marijuana or allow lounges for, for the use of marijuana. Marijuana is going to be legal everywhere, whether the town town opts out or not. I mean, it's still legal to possess it and it'll still be legal to grow it in, in your backyard if you want. And don't forget if the Shinnecock Indian Nation is considering selling it, nothing that the town does is going to change what they do. So it seems like it would be sort of silly for them to opt out unless they want to give the Shinnecocks a um, monopoly. I said this the other day. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be a domino effect. Whether it begins it begins on the Shinnecock territory or begins in Southampton Town or one of the towns, one of the villages. Once it starts in one place, then then all the other towns are gonna to look at at that revenue, which you know I don't I don't think is gonna be super extensive. But there's gonna be revenue there that that they're wanna, gonna to want to take part in. And and I don't I think you know you you had said that 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 the lawmakers in, in the meeting the other day, David, you said they were they were kind of cautious. And I think that's just going to be, that's just going to be for a little while as everybody kind of eases into this new reality and, and realizes that, that it's okay to say, you know, smoking pot is okay. And, you know, and that type of thing for, for so many years, it's been this, you know, this outlaw thing, and they're just going to have, people are going to have to get used to it and, you know, and get comfortable with it, I think. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Dave made a great point that I was going to ask him about, which is the public, the public safety aspect of this. I think a lot of people are pointing to that as a reason not to legalize marijuana. But as you say, marijuana is in our communities. It's a black market drug right now. You know, I think there is a, a measure of safety that legalization brings. Dave, you talked about all of the regulation that you had to go through with the CDB industry. And, and I think that's going to be absolutely true uh, with with uh, recreational marijuana as well. Well, and not not just safety, but 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 health too. And and look, I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be probably overly honest here. I mean, I haven't I've been clean and sober for thirty years, so I'm not going to go out and and buy buy marijuana. But I, I certainly, you know, part part of those issues, you know, thirty years ago had to do with the illegality of it and the criminalization of it and and it being shoved in in that corner and people not being able if there is an issue to to get you know to get help with with a problem that they may have if you know if they're genetically predisposed to not be able to handle that very well 
And, and, and I think that, that by, by decriminalizing and by making it legal, you can then turn the focus from, from criminalization and putting people in jail to, um, you know, to making sure that everybody's having, you know, healthy experiences. And maybe helping people get off other more harmful drugs. Exactly. Uh, this fits perfectly into your boutique uh, setup, Dave. You know, the, 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 with the introduction of marijuana, the, the boutique setting for selling marijuana, we've already seen it in the states that have legalized it, that, that it becomes a high quality product uh, that people, that, that somebody like you who has an expertise and can guide shoppers is, has a real leg up here, no question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, an argument I've heard a lot in the pro-legalization camp and, you know, I tend to agree. It's like, you know, it's okay for, you know, I could go buy a bottle of vodka and pound it down and, you know, numb my senses. And it, it, is that any healthier for my body than, you know, it would be to overdo it with marijuana? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the difference between the two in terms of like physical health? I, I don't think you can make an argument that marijuana, is, if it's regulated, um, you know, is going to be, you know, any worse for you than a glass of alcohol. <laughs> There's something really attractive too about being a baby boomer who can now walk to, into somebody, somebody's store like Dave and say, I've got this ache right here in my back and I get really paranoid when I smoke, but I really want something to take care of the pain. You know what I mean? Can you help me? As opposed to, I don't know what's in this bag. Good luck. You know? Well, I think I've already heard of people you know, prior to legalization who've already been going to Dave for that, for with the CBD oil. And I've actually, as somebody who doesn't drink as much alcohol, um, I've been meaning to go visit Dave and say, hey, you know, I could use a little de-stressing, but you know, I'm, I'm looking for a CBD product. Um, and everybody I know that's been to open-minded organics, they're, they're going with like a specific need and it's being addressed. We, we should hope so, you know, and, and this public safety thing, and then we'll, we'll go into the quality here, you know, there, there are funding, there's ways of using the taxes collected here in the MRTA at different levels of cultivation, distribution, retail. We don't need to get into too much of the technicalities here. I didn't take all my notes and I don't want to misspeak, but there are good sums and good percentages of this, of these tax revenues going to treatment programs, to training police officers. So things are listed and there's, there's monies We'll find out how well it funnels into the programs, but it's not like these monies are being largely funneled into the general into the general funds here. You know, they are earmarked for the things you addressed. In public health, it's it's not always about to the the fentanyl point. I mean, unfortunately, that's just bad actors at the street level. But on this macro level, you know, growers out of state in the black market, they're not too concerned about residual pesticides and chemical fertilizers and mold count. And so, you know, a lot of this compliance testing to ensure that, you know, Eagle 20, you know, powerful, you know, fungicide pesticide here is not present on the flower that when combusted can turn into like this form of, uh, you know, this really, I think it's cyanide gas, like this noxious, toxic gas. If it's, you know, nobody's testing for that when they get it. I mean, the test is they open the bag, it looks good, smells good, and they give Tony the money. Um, and on the public safety side also, let's look at the vape crisis. Now, this is not the only thing that created a, a major health issue before the pandemic, if we all remember in the before days, we had a vape crisis. Uh, at the core of it was actually this product called Honeycut. So if anybody knows about these vape pens, it's in essence a, a hash oil or a distillate, like a refined hash oil that you vape. You, you, you heat it to a certain temperature 
aerosolizes and you can inhale. And it's a more gentler way, some would think, on the system to consume a product. Now, any good drug dealer knows that if they can cut their product in half, um, they can sell twice as much for a fraction of the, the intended cost. And, and the, thus was the birth of this product called Honeycut that you could add to these oils that one, reduce the viscosity so it was thinner, maybe easier to work with, but two, really bulked it up. And it started out from what I heard was, it, there was promised there wasn't uh, vitamin E acetate or some disallowed product in there. And they said, no, 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 but nobody did a test, nobody divulged, and it exploded. And people were buying this stuff by the 55 gallon barrel. And they were cutting all of these vape products. And we had all these illicit cartridges and unregulated things. I'm not gonna get too much further into it, but my point is, when you have regulations, when you have testing, when you have lot numbers, when you have transparency, I'm not gonna say it's gonna prevent it 100%, but it helps control and curtail that. And it helps us just rein this in, these bad actors. In that particular instance, Dave, people could, on the you know, street dealers could say, no, it's, it's made with vitamin E. It's perfectly, perfectly organic and perfect. I mean, but vitamin E in that form is, is hazardous. You and, don't want to inhale so, that now. Yeah, so now you, you, when you actually have some oversight on the industry, you can actually have some people who know what they're talking about providing advice to, to consumers. So there is a, the safety angle cuts both ways, I think. And, and I think that's a point that hasn't been made uh, from what I've heard in the conversation about this at the state level so far. And let's make sure that oversight is based on insight and not just oversight like they're going to control it and not allow this program to prosper. And on to that point, so we we're talking about like boutiques and I mentioned varietal specifics. Remember during prohibition and the same thing happened with alcohol, when it was illegal, the bootleggers, the black market, they focused on the high value product. Um, you know, we had the bootleggers, Al Capone. I mean, heck, it was the birth of NASCAR. They're still driving around in a circle in one day. And so the same thing happened to, you know, this, this, this lady cannabis plant, you know, there's mama energy, you know, it was perverted and bred to have these super high levels of THC. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we come out of the backside of prohibition here, that pendulum's gonna start to swing back the other way and close that space into where I'm working now. There is so much unexplored space in the middle where, yes, people will make an argument now, you know, this is not your grandpa's weed, you know, wow, I'm scared, I used to smoke a whole joint and I look at the stuff and it gives me anxiety. Those products, sure, they'll be there, but there's all of these other experiences, these lower THC, less intense products that, to be honest, there are levels of THC that you can consume in ratios with CBD and other stuff that really aren't intoxicating, but are still higher than the amounts you're getting in, in this hemp program. Um, so there's, there's going to be a lot of products out there. Just because it's legal, you know, like when they legalize alcohol, you know, it doesn't mean everybody's shooting to buy a bottle of 151, you know, Bacardi 151. I mean, the majority of us enjoy a watered-down liquor cocktail, glass of wine, beer, or even a Bartles James wine cooler, if they're still a thing. <laughs> You're dating yourself, Dave. I don't think they are. You're dating all of us, Dave. I think they're White Claw now, that's the thing. Yeah. White Claw, Zima, right? What happened to Zima? Yeah. So can I ask, David, I was curious how you see your business changing with this. Like, are you, I don't know, we were talking about this the other, other week on um, the Behind the Headlines show. And um, one of the things that came up that I thought was interesting is the idea of like a, almost like a craft brewery, but your property becomes a craft marijuana place where, you know, people can come take a tour of the farm, maybe smoke and enjoy. And, and I'm just wondering, is that something like a distillery license? Is that something in the making? And even if retail is forbidden, like on Main Street, that maybe your farm could be a place 
for um, that kind of consumption. Yeah, so you know they they created a lot of different licenses, but to your question specifically, there is language that proposes a micro license, but that's about all it does. It says it several times in the bill, and that's it. So we're we're going to wait several months to that OCM is uh, seated. Uh, those officers, and then they draft regulations and see what it looks like. Uh, in a perfect world, that would be fantastic. Um, you know, cannabis is, a, is another commodity. Uh, dare I say agricultural commodity, it'd be interesting to see what kind of protections growers or farmers receive growing marijuana. Uh, from my understanding, since it's not in the Department of Ag and Markets, uh, you might not see those protections and provisions there. It's kind of an interesting thing. But if I'm growing something, so Kirby cucumbers, I grow a great Kirby cucumber, um, but I can get $1.50, $2 a pound for them. And it's not much, but if I take my 20C licensed processing kitchen, cut those Kirby's, a little bit of salt, some garlic and dill and ferment them, I now have like a 10 or a $12 pickle product. So here's my point, that's called vertical integration, having the ability to, to, to grow something, manufacture it into a value added product and then sell it. And to me, it's, a very, very important part of the success of adult use marijuana in New York to allow small and medium-sized farmers, processors, et cetera, to function and have access to that, that retail dollar. Because otherwise, the, scale, the, the, the efficiencies of scale are gonna fall into play here. And if all you can just do is grow or process, the only way to be profitable and competitive is just to do that at such a large scale and small folks will not be able to compete at that. And that's rapidly happening in the CBD industry. You might want to keep those pickles in the store too for, you know, after. The munchies, yeah, the salt. Uh, yeah. As a business owner, Dave, <laughs> what, what are the obstacles for you then as you go forward, um, if you're interested in adding recreational marijuana as a product that you're going to sell from your store? So there are several obstacles here. You need to wait for the state to come up with a framework to work within. You're gonna need the local government to decide whether they're going to allow that or not. Can you, are you as a business owner already beginning the process of investigating places that you can, you can get product? And I mean, how, how does that work as a business owner? How do, you, how do you get all that together? In the before days, there were conferences and I've spent thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours, uh, if not more, thousands of hours, I haven't tallied them, don't want to speak out of turn, speaking, networking, attending, learning as I was building my business. And yes, to this date, that's an advantage for me. I already have resources and capabilities in my wheelhouse. Uh, major challenges besides what you just stated, obviously waiting for regulation. Um, I mean, even in the hemp space right now, we have major issues with insurance, uh, banking, credit card processing. And through the last few years, you know, I've had to deal with all of those. As a matter of fact, currently uh, I'm in the process. I can no longer continue my insurance policy with my insurance agent for over a decade because uh, their underwriter won't renew because of uh, we grow hemp. Uh, so now- you Explain know, that, explain that, David. It has to do too with the fact that marijuana is still illegal at the federal level, right? I mean, I think that's one of the problems. Marijuana most definitely is. Now remember, this is a New York program. So, you know, let's stay inside of our borders here with that three ounces of marijuana, you know, because you, you cross a state border, that's, that's uh, you know, interstate commerce and, and that, that thin line is, you know, where the federal government exists. Um, but my point is the challenges you need to do, obviously, remember this too, you're not just going to add marijuana to a store if you had a dispensary. There's language in the bill 
and I, and I please, I do invite everybody to read it with like a five color uh, highlighter, you know, so you can highlight different things, you know, different types of licenses and, and, you know, penal code, but that they say, you know, like, for instance, if you're, if you're dispensing retailing marijuana, that no other type of business can occur at that premise. So in other words, that's loud and clear, like you're not going to be doing this at a liquor store. Uh, you know, you're not going to be doing it at a convenience store. Uh, and very possibly you might not be doing it at like a CBD store, grocery store, or farm stand. Um, and so a lot of this stuff, you know, needs clarity, you know, on, on first and even deep reads, we can make interpretations, but until these clarifying regulations are in place, uh, we're just unknown. So, you know, the best advice right now is, you know, sit tight, wait for the regs, look at the local politics and start talking to banks, start talking to insurance agents and start trying to find a credit card processor and good luck because that's a challenge now in the hemp space, let alone once we move into more murky waters of marijuana. And let's be clear here, you know, hemp became federally legal through the 2014 Farm Bill, uh, allowing for states and institutions of higher education to conduct these research programs. And then fundamentally, you know, legalized in the 2018 Farm Bill as an agricultural commodity and we're still facing these challenges. Um, and so now imagine if now it's gonna be marijuana that's really not authorized in any way by the federal government for the most part, it's just gonna make banking, credit card processing, insurance, et cetera, even more difficult. So are there any states that are a really good model for New York to follow that you have experienced? Like who's doing it the best, do you think of those who already have it? I, I really wish I could speak to that and like give great insight, but it really does seem like every state has something different going on. Um, you know, we can look at Oregon. They have mountains of black market marijuana flowing out of their borders, uh, as does California. Uh, we could look at Colorado. I have friends out there and the aggregation of licenses and the small guys just disappearing so fast. Um, I heard Michigan's got a great model. Um, I don't know, some people have said, you know, they like some stuff in Massachusetts, but still they're not quite getting it right. Um, just as in everything else, you know, you want to take a little bit here and a little bit there, you know, like my daughter, my people say, oh, you know, my, my daughter is this beautiful thing. I said, that's right. You know, she's my little mini me with all my wife's pretty parts. So it's the same thing here. You know, we can't say that any one entity or space has gotten it right. And that's New York's opportunity here is for us to really say, okay, you know, these, you know, 10, 15 states have done this before us. Let's take all these little bits and see how they fit together. Um, because if they don't fit, you know, one thing could actually inhibit, uh, you know, the other being productive, which was its intention. So uh, there's there's a lot of work to stitch this together. I'm sorry I couldn't be more specific. Now, I, I just worry, I wonder too, are, is there worries about like big corporate entities yes. coming in and trying to steal all the business from the little guys? Because I've heard that's a big issue. Yeah, so this is multifaceted, this, this concept. Uh, one, from my interpretation and understanding, that's why they tried to break up and block vertical integration. So the majority of the licenses, so if you hold a New York state has proposed a cultivation license, manufacturing license, you couldn't also hold a, a retail license unless you've got this micro license that I discussed before, or you're one of the ROs, the registered organizations who are the, the medical marijuana operators. They have an opportunity for a fee to transition over and be vertically integrated. So. I had heard or it's interpreted that, you know, by blocking vertical integration was a way of stopping these large businesses coming in and monopolizing. I would have done it different. I just would have said, hey, look, you know, you can only limit the amount of dispensaries or canopy space. For me, big money is going to come in in the way that a large part of the country 
no, not more than half, but a decent size, it already has a, a high functioning marijuana industry, very accomplished and very mature. And those brand owners, uh, you know, the phone and my email has been off the hook of all these people looking to partnership up and bring their brands into the state and license things. So it's, uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how this happens. And, and this is why I'm actually an advocate for decriminalization on a federal level and changing banking reform, but not necessarily opening up for interstate commerce right now. So for instance, if they made things federally illegal and just opened up the borders, um, very few states would have a chance at having like a sovereign cannabis infrastructure. They would just be steamrolled by states like California, Oregon, Colorado, uh, yeah. et cetera. So it's a complicated issue. You said people are approaching you about partnering, but if they're from out of state, that would be a federal crime, correct? Well, no. So if somebody has unique genetics or a brand, uh, so for instance, let's say you've got this great gummy, right? You got uh, Shaw's Chews, you got this fruit chew, and you've been- Oh, I like the sound of it. Yeah, Shaw's Chews. And you've been doing- <laughs> Can great. we make them pineapple? Can we make pineapple, them pineapple? Pineapple, yeah, yeah. Not Pineapple Express, that one's already taken. <laughs> Maybe mango. Shaw's Pineapple Chews, and it's, uh, you know, dosed, freeze-dried pineapple chunks, right? And you're doing great in the recreational market in Oregon. Now, you can't make it there and bring them over here, but what you can do is you can hook up with a manufacturer and have it co-packed. Um, and so those are the brands, those are the business owners. They're either going to come in and set up their own facilities, or they're going to partnership with ones on the cultivation side. Uh, you look at Burner and Cookies. I'm sure those guys, I'm sure they're going to sign some deals with their cultivation and their genetics that are occurring here. Uh, so there's going to be a major influx um, of mature industry uh, into New York State. And so that is a concern. You know, how do, how do we offer opportunity for New Yorkers? And obviously, you know, a boost to the program um, for everybody. It's, it's complicated. And let's, let's hope uh, there's some balance because it's, it's a little scary. I have another question, David. And I mean this sincerely. I wonder if you've had conversations with local um, farmers. You know, cash crops is what the South Fork is all about right now. I mean, it's very difficult for farmers to make a living uh, unless they're growing, you know, crops that have a high return. And I would think that this is a crop that, that rivals anything as far as the return that you can get for it. And I'm wondering if growing marijuana in Bridgehampton loam would, would have the same kind of, of you know, mm -hmm. appeal for, for people as the, the potatoes. I mean, I think it, it has the, the potential to make it a real premium product. Have you had any of those conversations? Are farmers willing to have those conversations yet? They're, they're definitely having them. And one thing you need to understand about cannabis, I, I don't think that really terroir translates the way it does in viticulture. Um, really, you, you have chemotypes. So mm. if you threw a bunch of seeds out in the ground and you identified one, this one phenotype, you know, uh, a specific individual in a group, and then you cloned it, and then you grew it indoors in like this crazy sciencey hydroponic indoor setup where a lot of the industry is. From my understanding, under a metal halide lamp to grow one pound of like quality, high quality AAA grade indoors, like 20 pounds or more of coal, right? But if you take that same cutting and you wow. grow it outdoor in the soil, sun grown, you know, with organic inputs and amendments and a regenerative agricultural model, uh, obviously, you know, that carbon footprint is a little uh, different and lower, but notably the chemotype, that expression, that, that special recipe of sun, wind, rain, and nutrients is gonna produce something different. 
Um, so I don't know per se the Bridgehampton Loam, by the way, that's the, the name of the land under my, my farm is Bridgehampton Loam LLC, mm -hmm. is the farm holder. The, uh, is, that's um, actually, your, that's the name of the farm. The, you know, the landowner. You know, no it's Bridgehampton Loam. The earth, the earth speaks for itself. Yeah, right? absolutely. The, uh, it's really more of a branding opportunity <laughs> because at the end of the day, the, the science indoor folks versus the artisanal kind of outdoor craft folks, they, they can really make some kick butt weed, you know, inside without it ever really touching uh, what a soil scientist would even consider soil. You know, it might be in Rockwell or, or Coar and salt grown. Uh, so there's really a whole rehashing of, of how, we, how we think about this. So yes, there's branding opportunities. I think also though, we need to understand that, you know, the Northeast is, is a tricky place really to grow cannabis. Um, you know, we've, we've got gray mold and hurricanes. Um, we've got great soil for it, but uh, you know, the mold coming in alone, and you know, this is something we haven't really talked about and, and we don't really know where the state stands yet, is you know this testing on cannabis. So we have potency testing, obviously, we're testing for pesticides, but then there's like yeast molds and bacteria and biology in the flower. And so if we're growing outside, innately they're going to be alive with yeasts. And if we're organic, there's going to be bacteria and positive stuff. Remember those cucumbers, those Kirby's I was talking about before? We're actually relying on that bacteria in the air, you know, to create that ferment in the salt brine. And in certain states with restrictive bacterial microbial account counts really using traditional organic practices like foliar sprays, you could exceed that threshold. They say 10,000 parts of, of you know, certain biology and metric. If you exceed that, it fails this test. It doesn't say if it's the good guys or the bad guys. So there's really a lot of regulation. We're gonna have to wait and see. And hopefully they're aware of this. Remember oversight with insight. So hopefully they have the insight that if they set the bar too low or the way they approach analytics, inadvertently they could almost prevent outdoor cultivation um, that would naturally have occurring microbials, yeasts, and bacteria. Um, so it's gonna be, I, again, I, I know I speak vaguely and roundabout, but it's, it's, there's just so much that's, uh, that, that needs to be discussed and regulated and put down on paper and then played out. And then there's the security issue. If you're growing outside, got to make sure those kids don't climb that fence. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, they don't. That's all right, a paintball gun, you know? So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll be having more and more of these conversations with you. Yeah. Hopefully we do. And including, uh, you know, municipal leaders, because uh, circling back to some of these original conversations of the zoning, you know, where does this happen on main street side streets consumption? Okay. We're going to ban smoking downtown, but I'm a farmer. If I have water moving through my field, I can either tile it to drain it or put in a swale to divert it. And it's gonna be the same thing with consumption here. We ban it in an area with insight, we can see that it's gonna put pressure elsewhere. And so I really hope there's well thought out plans that go into place. And to go back to the, the event we held, that was a theme it was like, look, we're trying to get out ahead of the curve before people start hitting the hornet's nest. Let's have calm conversations that are insightful. Uh, we're coming from educated perspectives we gave you the legislation, read it, my phone number, you can find it wherever, you guys are doing a great, great job. I mean, all of the, you know, the press group, 27 East, the Express, the Star, everybody, they're doing a great job right now. Um, it would have been nice to see Newsday step up a little bit. They seem to have an anti-cannabis sentiment. And so I at least appreciate though, out on the East End here, the very objective forum 
uh, that uh, the, the, the media has here. And I'm grateful for that. And it's very important, this neutral objective forum. And it helps when the chief of police shows up at events like this too. It certainly does. That was that was a great move, I thought, on his part, yeah. just to just to clear the air, so yeah. to speak. Sure. Dave, do you have anything uh, in the hemp variety for a pounding headache that you get from uh, noises that are just constantly happening in your in the background? Tools being used, and <laughs> you know, so you have a bathtub in the house. I do. So that same oil that I said you can use orally and topically. So if you just had a stressful day, it sounds like you're a little stressed out and overstimulated, right? So a great yes. way to unplug, you take our full strength oil, put about a, fill the tub up, really hot water, bunch of Epsom salts in there, just cause that's always nice. Handful of baking soda if you got it. That's always nice for the skin and the pH. You put in about a third of a dropper of that oil right before you get in and soak in it for 20 minutes. And it just, it's kind of like that commercial Calgon, take me away. Oh, and for me personally, I, I feel, I really find it's a great way to decompress and unwind and get calm mentally and help release some of that physical tension. And that sounds like what you need. You could also take a couple drops and just try rubbing it on your temples, you know? Or we could just wait for the workman to leave. Because <laughs> I think that's, I think that's the biggest part of it. <laughs> yeah. Unwinding is key. You, know, you got to unwind yeah. that ratchet. Yeah. The doctor is in. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.